Hello and welcome to Propnex, the property podcast about all things related to the future of real estate. I'm delighted that you've joined me today. My name is Gavin Morgan, your host. If you'd like to know a little bit more about me, please check out www.propnex.com. That's P-R-O-P-N-X.com. Or drop me a line if you'd like to chat privately on Gavin R. Morgan at propnex.com. That's G-A-V-I-N-R-M-O-R-G-A-N at propnex.com. Dr. Tim Borman, founder and partner at Undivided Ventures and senior teaching associate at the University of Cambridge. Welcome to Propnex and thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast. Thanks very much, Gavin, and thanks for the invitation to join you. Absolutely, Tim, it's a pleasure. Um, and in time-honored fashion, Tim, maybe you could we could kick off with you just telling us just a little bit more about yourself. Happily. Um, so I am, a, as you say, a founder and uh, partner in Undivided Ventures, which is a, a new venture capital firm set up to uh, find solutions for sustainable sustainability challenges in buildings and cities. And uh, I also wear two hats. I, outside of uh, my work in Undivided, I work uh, in the University of Cambridge, where I teach and previously did research um, in engineering. And um, before that, I, I earned a PhD and a, a Master's of Science um, from Cardiff University. And uh, that's where I studied architecture and, and, and um, all things related to, I suppose, sustainability and, and design. So I've been working um, in academia and in industry for about 20, 25 years in the, in the field of sustainability. Yeah, and I mean, what a um, what a space to be in uh, today, Tim. I mean, I you cannot have a conversation with a real estate investor or owner without sustainability rightfully being at the um, at the top of the agenda. Uh, you and I chatted a little bit um, before the podcast about net zero carbon, other ways of either defining that um, uh, or perhaps a better way of correctly defining it. Um, and before I ask you about your definition or of net zero carbon or how you would refer to it, it's also something that I've noticed when I speak to the um, owner community that the, the, the definitions seem to be inconsistent. But let's start with how you would define it or how you would refer to it, please. Well, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. There are, um, there are at the moment sort of misaligned definitions, I suppose. So as, uh, to some extent, uh, I suppose... We all can have our own, but I think that is absolutely the problem. Um, so where we need where we need to arrive at is a place where we have a sort of common set of definitions and a common set of parameters for measurement of carbon. Um, probably useful at the start to distinguish between three types of three three terms for carbon. Um, I mean, we can talk about carbon neutrality, where we could think about that within one one project perhaps, where um, any emissions that are created have somehow been offset. Um, either through carbon removals or, or avoided emissions, and we can talk about that means later. Um, that's slightly different than, than net zero carbon, and a lot of people would define net zero carbon to actually mean uh, a situation where, where carbon emissions are reduced in line with 
um, the, the Paris Agreement trajectory. So that's uh, essentially the, the the decrease in carbon that we need to achieve to reduce to to to, to avoid the worst risks of climate change. Then the third type of carbon that I think is is really important to highlight is is absolute zero carbon. Not that that's a type of carbon, but it's a the term um, for decarbonization. And when we talk about absolute zero carbon, what we mean is eliminating all carbon emissions without the use of offsets. And that's really where we need to get to because offsets, of course, are, are finite. There's only so many available offsets, offsets of, uh, on the planet. And Tim, how do you think, um, I mean, I, I've talked to you about previously about globally consistent definitions for all of this. And I mean, really where I'm coming from in that is in the various conversations that I have with owners and investors. I mean, in fact, some of them have determined that the best way forward for them is to define net zero carbon for themselves because of the inconsistency in definition. And I think some of those investors will go for that definition. Uh, what was it you said? Absolute zero carbon, which I think is really what we're trying to achieve globally um, in its purest sense. But the net zero carbon in a lot of cases, and there are a lot of people out there that believe that offsets um, achieve that type of goal just as well. Um, do you think that's, I mean, that's presumably a challenge to a globally consistent definition. And um, But for me, consistency globally on something like this um, is important. I mean, when I look at the certifications for green buildings and the various different um, bodies that certify that around the world, all of which are excellent and do great work and drive the right type of development. But the lack of global, the lack of one standard um, to aim for, and particularly an evolving standard that continues to, in an appropriate and commercial way, take this forward. Um, I mean, I think it would be very, very helpful to see that. Any prospect of seeing it, do you think? And if you do, when do you think we could have it? it um, I think it's um, there are absolutely prospects. I mean, they are, there are various definitions that are um, being, being formed and have been formed in, in the last couple of years. Um, in the UK, um, probably the most significant one is the uh, set of definitions produced by the Whole Life Carbon Network, um, which is really a kind of a, a, a self-initiative from uh, a mix of practitioners and, and, and experts in life cycle assessment who I think solve precisely the same problem that you're talking about. Um, so set out to sort of define these terms for themselves. Um, they produce you know, great sort of one-page documents and, and simple summaries. Um, the Green Building Councils, the World Green Building Council and its subsidiaries have, have also been um, you know, working on this. I, you know, I think the ideal, of course, would be to have a globally agreed um, set of definitions. And, and it seems somewhat absurd, given the, the climate emergency that we're in, that we don't have that. Um, but be that as it may, um, countries and, and industries within countries can absolutely and should um, be working to, to agree these terms. Um, I would say, you know, in, in the OECD countries, um, in, in the so-called developed world, uh, most countries now do have um, agreed terms. They may not be widely used in industry, um, which is probably part of the problem. So um, maybe some of, the, some of the issue here is sort of knowledge exchange and, and people becoming familiar with um, definitions that have been maybe just recently agreed. I mean, we're also seeing... I mean, I think part of the reason that's happening is we're seeing an increasing interest in regulating carbon um, in buildings and therefore thinking about embodied carbon. And we can talk about the definition of that. Um, but, but the point being that we really need to have sort of agreed standards and metrics, um, terminology, definitions, et cetera. Otherwise, it's, you know, if, if we can't measure, uh, we can't manage. So it's a, it's a really futile effort. 
um, to try and decarbonize. Yeah. Look, Tim, thanks. And um, what, where I've seen um, important agenda items like this driven forward very well is typically when either a private sector institution or body gets a grip on it and is able to globally really move it forward. It's difficult to see how it happens across different governments. Is there a body globally at the moment that you think would be capable of doing that? Or is there still room or an opportunity or a need for that to be established? It's a difficult question. Um, I think, yes, there's a, lot, I mean, there's a, a huge need for that. Um, there are political, um, I suppose, obstacles to getting that done. Um, and you know, we have a difficult enough time globally um, agreeing on the pathway to decarbonization um, at, at the sort of um, international panel of climate change and at the UN level. Um, so to think about, you know, individual nations um, all harmonizing definitions in the next couple of years uh, seems seems unlikely. Um, that said, I think in the longer term or in the medium term, um, it's it's critical. Um, as I say, I think you know, I think for each nation or each industry to sort of self-organize at this point is probably the best way forward. Um, that said, harmonizing or aligning with existing definitions only makes sense. Um, you know, I'm not here to put weight behind any one organization, but I do think the um, the World Green Building Council is, is pretty well suited for that um, in that they have um, uh, national organizations beneath them um, across most of the world. So, you know, I think there's a really good opportunity there. Um, but perhaps it's it's professional membership organizations or, or groups like the Whole Life Carbon Network um, that can lead the way forward. Okay. Well, thank you. And uh, it's it's great to hear that you think that there are groups that have the potential to do this um, while it sort of moves forward in its own way in the process. Um, I wanted yeah. to come back to something that you said just a few minutes ago, uh, and you highlighted it yourself, uh, embodied carbon. Um. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that, please, and why you think uh, focusing on that is important? Sure. I, mean, I think we've, you know, for a long time now, we've been talking about energy efficiency and, and I suppose, thinking about carbon in, in the context of, of energy. Um, and when we're talking about energy efficiency, of course, we're just really talking about the building and use. Um, embodied carbon captures the uh, the origin of that building really the the raw materials um, the transport of those raw materials to the point of manufacturing um, the construction of the building as well as the building in use and ultimately uh, its end of life so the demolition or the deconstruction uh, the, the disposal of the waste all of that's captured in embodied carbon and of course um, you know that's that's equally, uh, if not more important than what we'd call upfront carbon or just the just the carbon that's used, uh, that's produced in, in, in building the building, producing materials and building the building, or just the in-use carbon um, that's associated with, with you know, the, the life, the, the use of the building. I suppose the difficulty um, in when we're, when we're confusing terms is that we're not sort of aligning and we're not talking about the same thing. Um, Looking forward, um, you know, you can imagine a situation where buildings are so energy efficient um, that the operational carbon, the carbon that's associated with cooling it, heating it, using it, ventilating it, etc., is actually very, very small. And and actually, then the, the proportion of carbon starts to become skewed toward toward embodied carbon. 
Um, at the moment, I think, you know, we've got a situation where both are the problem, um, the operational carbon, the operational energy, the energy that's required to operate buildings um, is far too high to ever reach uh, sort of global uh, net zero. And we have this problem where the, the upfront carbon, um, the carbon that goes into a building um, before, it's, before it's used, um, is also really significant. So we need to drive down both of those things at once. And, you know, let's not forget, we talk about the climate emergency and it's easy to sort of say that glibly, but we've got 28 years to sort this problem out. And at the moment, um, you know, the building sector, the construction and, and operation of buildings, it's accountable for over a third of our emissions, about 37, 38% of, of global emissions. Something in the region of 18 and a half gigatons, and I know gigatons isn't a particularly useful measurement, but that's a gigaton is a billion tons, and, and, and a billion tons is about the weight of all the mammals on Earth. So it's a staggering quantity of emissions that we're at now, um, and we need to get that down to zero in not much more than 25 years. So that has to happen, I suppose, through both channels, through embodied carbon and through operational carbon. And to focus um, solely on operational carbon, as we have done historically, is, is simply not going to get us um, anywhere close to to the decarbonization goals that we have. Yeah, um, I hear you on that. And I also, you know, I think human nature, unfortunately, works against us a little bit here as well. People think 28 years, they think, oh, well, we'll worry about that a little bit closer to the time. This is not a worry about it closer to the time problem. I mean, if if there's ever been one that needs action now, it's this. Um, Tim, something that, you know, and perhaps maybe a little bit unrealistically I'm very passionate about is the need to see more buildings repurposed rather than demolished and reconstructed. I think we still live in a world that loves to knock stuff down and build it when it could be when it could be repurposed. Um, I'm in a I'm in an an old colonial house in the US at the moment. It was built in the 1800s. I've had loads of builders in, they all want to knock it down, but it's totally refurbable and that's what we're going to do. Um, you know, I think it'll be a better house at the end of that process, um, as well as um, as well as it having been a process that's better for the environment. I'd love to see more of that thinking in the commercial sector, partly as well because I now think that technology and work practices actually support redevelopment or reimagination of existing assets rather than just knocking them down and rebuilding them. And um, what are your views on that? And um, I have some view. Well, what are your views on that for, for for a kicker? And then I'll have a few more questions that I'll tag on the, the bottom. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it is by far and away the most important thing that we could all do is stop building um, and, and stop burning things. And in order to build things, we need to burn things. Um, and, and unfortunately, with our existing buildings, uh, we, we still need to burn things, which is to say we still need to use fuel to heat or to cool or to ventilate our buildings. Um, so the challenge really is that we have existing buildings which are very energy and inefficient and therefore carbon intensive. Um, and let's not forget about nature. I mean, we, we, we talk about the climate emergency, but um, the nature emergency is also something we're living with and it's equally important and carbon and nature are completely bound up. I mean, there's... Uh, for a start, there's a sort of direct relationship between the two. Climate change is driven by the decline of nature, and climate change drives the decline of nature itself. Um, 
there's also, I suppose, the point that, you know, why save the climate if we're not saving nature? So we're seeing a dramatic decline in species in our lifetime, something in the order of, of 70%, I believe. Um, uh, and, and we're seeing, you know, a, a real loss of natural resources and natural capital. So we've got to turn the two things around at once. Um, I'm sorry, Gavin, I've lost track of your question, actually. That, that's uh, unfortunately I have that effect on people, Tim. But um, it was um, <laughs> I was just uh, Wait, the, talking about nature. <laughs> no, it was about um, more um, more uh, just regeneration of existing assets and, yeah, sorry, uh, and re, rather than knocking them down and rebuilding them, which is you know, look, uh, and I realize I may not be being realistic, but I feel that there could be so much more of that with uh, technology, yeah. etc. Yeah. yeah. Let me pick up where I left off. Um, so, so the preservation of nature is absolutely vital. We need to be doing that um, as we're thinking about decarbonizing. And we need to be doing that on a similar timeline. I mean, these are both emergencies and, and we have no time to spare. So anytime we're building a new building, we are producing a, a huge amount of concrete. We're consuming natural capital. And that's just a given. There, are, we, can, we can talk all day about ways to build new buildings um, with less impact, but the reality is we simply can't build our way out of this problem. Um, we're adding about a billion people to the planet every 12 years. Um, we are increasingly adding floor area to our buildings. We look at global trends, um, and, and, and the same would be true in the US or the UK. Fewer people are living um, in a dwelling. So while floor area is increasing, fewer people are, are, are using um, that floor area. Um, uh, and we're using more stuff. We're buying and, and, and using more stuff. We plug in electronics when we go home. Um, and, you know, we go to the office and we, and we do the same. I suppose the value of existing buildings um, is, in a sense, avoiding that upfront carbon. Um, and, and that sounds obvious, but let's not forget that can be anywhere between maybe a third to two thirds of the, the carbon that a building would produce over its whole lifetime. Um, the challenge, of course, is how we upgrade the energy efficiency of an existing building uh, without depleting a bunch of natural capital and without creating a bunch of carbon emissions in the process uh, where we don't need to. Um, I think there are lots of other reasons. I mean, you know, there, there are cultural reasons, aesthetic reasons, um, lots of other reasons why we'd want to keep existing buildings. But what's really clear is there is no future scenario where we're reaching net zero um, with the currently available technologies um, that involves mass amounts of new construction. We already know that you know, we're seeing huge rates of increase in urbanization in Africa and Asia. Um, just the population growth in those regions alone is, is really difficult to, to, to envision how we can keep within um, a net zero of 2050. So those who can and those who have a choice should absolutely be focusing on existing buildings and maximizing uh, the use of those assets. And you know, you mentioned a sort of shift in in how we're working and and using buildings. And I think it's a really fascinating time. Um, one of the sort of um, maybe unforeseen uh, consequences of COVID um, was that we sort of overnight did what we thought was going to take years to do, which is transition the way that we work and the way that we use buildings. So. I think it's really interesting conversations about what that means, about the opportunities that exist, um, about you know what a sort of adaptive reuse mean and and circularity and and how do we maximize the 
the service life and usefulness of these buildings with, okay. with sort of minimal inputs. And that's a real, um, I mean, I love that topic and I think it's incredibly relevant and interesting. So I'm going to ask you right now, I'd like us to, I'd love to have another conversation with you. I mean, not right away, but I'd love to plan a chat with you on that because um, I I couldn't agree with you more. We're not going to meet the targets uh, without that type of approach. I've thought it for a long time and um, I think we need to, as much as anything else, it needs to be advocated for uh, more aggressively. Um, You know, when you look at the sorts of targets that we've set. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've heard I've heard it said that given the current rate of increase in floor area, um, our sector could reach something in the region of 200 gigatons of CO2 by 2050. And 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 just as a reminder, we're currently at 18.5, and we need to get to zero. Um, so you know, the trajectory that we're on is literally unsustainable. Um, we know we need to keep emissions um, at a point where we're we're at, you know at least keeping within two degrees, but really it's very clear now that 1.5 degree future um, is more than enough disruption. I mean, we are already living with a 1.1 degree increase um, in global temperatures. And we've seen, you know, the the extreme climate events that are starting to occur as a result of that. So keeping within 1.5 degrees, which is what we need to do to um, give ourselves at least a 50% chance of, of, of avoiding the worst of the impacts, should absolutely be our global and, and national target. And that needs to filter down to individual asset managers and, and, and developers. Um, so I think organizations need to start sort of thinking about their own carbon budget within this sort of emergency timeline. Uh, there's a lot of change that, that has to happen um, within one lifetime. It's it's a really remarkable time. I mean, Tim, this is, um, you know, this is a topic that we could talk on for a long time. I mean, we're sort of coming up to, we're going to need to conclude uh, on this conversation shortly, but, um, you know, a lot more to be said and to be advocated for and what I think is probably the most topic, the most important topic in real estate at the moment. Um, anything you want to say in closing before we wrap up? I, mean, I think um, maybe we could talk a little bit about sort of um, how companies, how, how organizations can, can do this. Um, I, I mean, I think we shouldn't have this conversation without mentioning and talking about um, the importance of behavior, um, you know, of, of the, the importance of just changing the way that we use buildings and the simple things that we could do really overnight, um, changing the way that we use buildings and heat and cool buildings, um, simple things like putting on more clothing when we're in a cold climate or, or taking clothing off when we're in a warm climate um, can actually make, you know, really substantial um, contributions to, to reducing carbon something maybe in the order of, of 10% of energy demand. So that's something that requires virtually no no capital investment um, and can be done overnight. We also need to think, you know, really urgently about um, sort of immediately phasing out fossil fuels in in buildings um, and shifting to, to 100% electrification and, and renewable energy. And I think that's something that, again, asset managers have, have control over and, and can start doing now. Um, you know, the, the harder wins are going to come um, with supply chains and upstream partners and service providers, contractors, et cetera, people that we don't necessarily have sort of direct control over um, in projects. But I think there's a, there's every reason to focus now on the sort of uh, the, the easy wins and the can-dos and starting to get serious about what, what maybe um, would be appropriate carbon targets for 2025, um, appropriate carbon targets for 2040 and, and, and so on. 
Yeah, so I couldn't agree more there as well. A clear milestone plan with measurable, deliverable goals at multiple points on the way to make sure that we're actually going to complete the journey properly. I mean, Tim, I think that's a great place to leave it for today. Um, uh, I mean, I, I've massively enjoyed the conversation and thank you very much for spending the time with us on this topic. And um, another one soon, I hope, maybe around some of the areas that we've talked about on here. I'd, I'd be happy to. Yeah, thanks again for the invitation to join you. That's Dr. Tim Foreman, uh, founder and partner at Undivided Ventures and senior teaching associate at the University of Cambridge here on PropNext. Tim, thank you very much again for joining us today. Pleasure. So that's a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank you very much for tuning in to listen today and hope to welcome you back to hear some of our future shows. As I mentioned earlier, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about me, look at www.propnex.com, that's P-R-O-P-N-X.com, or drop me a line on gavinrmorgan at propnex.com. That's G-A-V-I-N-R-M-O-R-G-A-N at propnex.com. I hope to hear from you soon, and thank you very much again for tuning in today. All the very best.